In the Booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a column. I don't believe what I just saw! You know, I always make those interesting comments during the game. Personally, I think you got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. How about a talk show host? This is in the booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And welcome everybody in the booth. Good to have you along on a Monday. So much for the uh, unseasonably warm. Felt like I left the house in that condition. Get downtown. The snow flurries are flying. And uh, welcome to reality. It's kind of a back-to-work kind of feel here on a Monday. First of the new year. And uh, away we go. Welcome uh, into the program. Tommy's uh, back at the board. Good to have uh, Tommy pushing the buttons. Brian Higgins riding shotgun as usual. And uh, we are here to talk sports with you. We're on twitch.tv slash Talk. You can join us by phone as well at 315-437-7644. Our guest later in the program is our friend Jason Benetti of uh, ESPN. And uh, Jason had the Notre Dame game, so that was uh, the reason for booking him. But he was in Brian's wedding, so we pretty much don't need a reason. We can uh, pretty much get uh, Jason anytime uh, the mood strikes and he's available. Even when he's not available, sometimes. He was wearing the suit I required him to buy on the Saturday. Oh, is that right? Yes. <laughs> he's getting the extra mileage out of it. Hey, so. I, got, I, I made them buy good TV suits. There was, you go. He's That's really the only one it applied to. But. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of thinking about it and uh, getting the extra mile there. And uh, Dan Dockich uh, with him. And I think we'll have uh, Dan on the pregame show uh, at uh, Virginia because uh, the same pair will have the uh, UVA game as well. And I'm sure they've got a game uh, during the week. I know uh, Dan does, Jason probably does too. We can check in uh, with him. But we obviously have to start on the Syracuse Notre Dame weekend. The women were able to beat Notre Dame for the first time in a while. They'd lost 21 in a row uh, against the Irish. We'll get Brian's thoughts on that in a moment. But obviously people want to get into basketball. And for me, far and away is the most exciting game of the year. That is what you hope for when you buy your ticket. And that's all you could hope for. Uh, from an entertainment perspective. And I know everybody's fired up. And you lose the game. It's just such a razor-thin margin. Elijah Hughes makes his layup. John Mooney misses his. Either of those. And it's an entirely different thing. We're talking about how much fun that game was to watch. And look at the explosive offense. And isn't Joe Girard feisty and blah, blah, blah. You don't get either of those. And it's fire everybody. Who recruited these clowns? Playing the wrong defense. And... There's really no in-between, and uh, I guess that's what makes sports interesting, but we'll take on some of those points uh, today, Brian, one by one. I'll say this. If this is going to be a year where they don't make the tournament, let's have every game the rest of the way be like that. Now, if they're going to find a way to get to the tournament, I, I'm all for them winning any which way that required uh, to get there, which probably is actually games like that. But <laughs> Right, that's the thing. I mean, right. you have to to get to the tournament. You got to win games like that. And yeah. as I said on the post game Saturday, the next game at South Bend is not going to be making up ground because you're already budgeting that you're beating Notre Dame twice to get to where you need to get to to make the tournament. So they are absolutely behind schedule in terms of making the tournament. There's no way around that at this point. But I'm a hundred percent with you, and I'll let you finish. That to me, when I show up at game day, 
you know, this is not a team that's going to be blowing people out. It's not a team that's going to be a number one seed and all that stuff. And there's been years like that where you think, hey, just getting off the bus, they're better than the other guys, and, and this is uh, going to be a 12-point win. Um, well, let's get to it. It's not like that. And when it's not like that, you're hoping for good, exciting, competitive games, and it's hard to beat that one for that category. Well, I think we learned, hey, 2016, 2018, you can't count out making the tournament until they're officially, officially out, because I don't know if we really thought they were to make the tournament either of those years, and you get a Final Four, and you get a, a great run uh, to the Sweet 16. And boy, wasn't that a lot of fun, and that those were more fun than whatever could have happened in the regular season. But if it's not going to be that, then man, two months of barn burners and threes and Joe Girard getting in people's faces <laughs> and Buddy Beheim shooting threes and Elijah Hughes doing everything else and Marek going coast to coast, they're fun to watch. Like It was a fun game to watch. Now, it's the only close game they've played all year, but hey, if, if you're going to lose, and obviously we don't want that, but and going into the locker room after, I mean, it, it was dejected in there and quiet and everything you'd kind of expect, but man, it was a fun basketball game to watch. So, as far as what we always say every year of what better entertainment are you going to get around here for two months in the winter, I think we saw on Saturday, this team, regardless of results, they're provided to prepare us with something fun to do here for the next two months. Absolutely. And it's different than what we've seen in these past couple of years where, yes, you know, the team scraped its way to the tournament and whatever, but a lot of people say, oh, geez, this is so hard to watch. This is boring. They can't score 60 points. Well, you have the opposite now, okay? And here's what I'm saying. Just if one th In any one-point game, there's probably 30 different things that could have swung it one way or the other. So if any one of those things goes differently and you win the game, then today we're talking about, really, I think the number one takeaway from the game would be the Joseph Girard stretch after Prentice Hub kind of stands over him. Girard comes down, scores on a pull-up. He scores on a reasonable three. He scores on a ridiculous three. And you're seeing his legend being born and his Jerry McNamara moments and, and all of that against Notre Dame, by the way, which is a, a very Joe Girard uh, kind of fit. Uh, some of the Notre Dame people are walking away going, uh, he's going to score a thousand points against us in, in his <laughs> career. And you do get that sense that uh, that type of thing can happen. You got to be excited about him. Buddy Beheim isn't just a good shooter. He is an extraordinary, historically good arguably the best in the program's history type of shooter, fundamentally and whatever. Now, I'm sure he, after saying that, he's due for a, a two for 19, but he absolutely is a knockdown three-point. So so let's get right to the heart of the matter. Obviously, they play the wrong defense. They should always be playing man-to-man. -man. Here's what I'm here to tell you. It, the outcome would not have been... They're, they're not better defensively to play man. The, the, the players that you think of as deficient... All right, so let's say if you just want to go on the stipulation, Gerard's uh, too short and Buddy's too slow. Well, how's that better in a man-to-man? -man? Uh, that, that's the, the problem I have. And what you have to understand is that with the trade-off of playing those guys, first of all, you don't have anybody better, so that, that's who you're playing, number one. Number two, they're not just good offensive players. They are great offensive players, great offensive players that combine for 40 points. Well, they gave up 40. Yeah, they did. You know, but and that's that's part of it. You know, but there's a lot of things that need to be tweaked. I think with this team, I would not be looking there first um, because I think the triumvirate of Gerard Beheim Hughes one to three 
is representative of an ACC team. Hughes is an all-ACC player, is one of the best players in the conference. The other two guys are freshmen and sophomores. For freshmen and sophomore in the non-Duke category, they are representative and they're doing their thing. They're going to have moments good and bad, but th that is not so much the issue or, or the deficiency. You know, the deficiency, obviously, in my opinion, would be in the interior, both on, on offense and defense. They just do not have enough uh, from the front court, and there's lots of reasons for that. I want to address one thing quickly here, the, just because the you know the Twitter sentiment is is mostly the the same type of thing, and I'll I'll hit the one person back here at some point when we get the time to do it. Who recruited these guys? Well, the same system that recruited these guys recruited senior Tyus Battle, junior O'Shea Brissett, sophomore Darius Baisley. <laughs> They're all gone. Right, didn't really work out <laughs> that way, and they recruited Ron Patterson and some others too. Okay, mm -hmm. but you, you win some and you lose some in recruiting. There's no question. There's a you know, would Isaiah Stewart look great here? Of course he would. He's one of the best players in the country and a physical specimen and a top NBA draft pick. You didn't get him. You know, there's just been a, some near misses on some people. You're going to have ramifications. You're not going to be as good because of it. But I, I think it's people want blood in a game like that, and I'm just. My feeling is it was a hell of a game Saturday. It was a lot of, lot of fun to watch. Would have been more fun had they won it, and they're just not as far off. You know, it's, it's, maybe it's going to be a, a long year or a rough year. But that's kind of what happens uh, at this level, and I, I think people are kind of missing out on, on the enjoyment of some of it uh, for what it's not. I'll say this. You want to spin it forward to, okay, can there be a, a tournament run this year, and where can the improvement B, and yeah, there's deficiencies in a lot of areas and whatnot. The The question I have, and I don't know the answer to it, and I don't know if it's going to get answered this year or in the future, is how much better can the top of the zone get with those two guys? Uh, we know Buddy knows the zone. He's been around it his entire life. The, Joe's uh, learning it. The question is, are those two ever going to be elite defenders at the top of the zone? Probably not. But is there 10% or 15% improvement, and is that the difference in games? And I guess that'll be the fun of watching here the next couple months. Yeah, we wanted to watch a little bit of the game. Brian and I did over uh, lunch here. We watched the last uh, three, four minutes again just to have it fresh. You know, there's a couple of shots. Prentice Hub is taking shots from way out. Prentice Hub in last year's game in South Bend uh, against Notre Dame, Prentice Hub couldn't hit it in the hallway. I mean, he he looked like one of the worst shooters at this level that you would see. And now he's obviously gotten better. He hit some deep shots. He hit some shots, I think, with defenders flying at him. There's one in particular late in the game. I think it, t it tied the game with a minute to two minutes to go where it's a pass into the post. Gerard kind of gambles on it as if he's going to steal it. And now because he did, he's got to take Buddy's spot. Buddy's got to get over and he gets over a step late and Hub hits the shot. That part, Brian, maybe you're right. Maybe that can get better when, when either Gerard actually gets there or understands that, hey, right now it's not worth that gamble. Mm -hmm. Or the person in the middle, whether it's Garrier, Dolajai, Sidibe, the next guy, whoever, that person's stout enough like Bai would have been or, or whatever that you don't gamble uh, on that. And then you, you can play your zone and play your position. It's a little different there. I know people probably want to get into the officiating. We can do that. Let's sneak in a call on uh, before the break here. Stephen North Syracuse is with us. Hey, Steve. Yeah, 
that was uh, as close a game as I think I've ever seen. Uh, um, both teams' starters scored 77 points. Uh, our bench scored 10. Their bench scored 11. Uh, both teams scored, uh, hit 13 baskets in the paint. Both of them hit 15 baskets from beyond the arc. Both of them hit three baskets in between those two areas. Uh, they had one more free throw, but we had a higher free throw percentage. Uh, you, you just can't get closer than that. And yet, uh, if you look at two stats, uh, uh, they are the only two stats that really are one-sided, and that is uh, second-chance points and points off turnovers. Uh, they had a total of 45 of those. We had 23. And I just can't find anything in the box score that explains how we negated that and stayed in the game. I think what they were doing is getting the ball to Mooney in all of these unsettled situations, and, and we couldn't handle that, but we didn't have a Mooney. So how did we stay in that game anyway? Yeah, you're right. I mean, in terms of closeness, and I stared at the box score for a while after the game, and I got it in my hand now, uh, Steve. You're, you're spot on. I mean, Every number is the same. Now, rebounding uh, wound up pretty close. It was way out of whack in the second half. And in terms of second half rebounding, that's where Notre Dame um, made a big uh, headway in it. The second half boards were 26 to 15. And they get the most important rebound of the game because uh, John Mooney has the, the late putback. Look, Syracuse doesn't have a player like John Mooney. John Mooney in his freshman season scored 17 points and had 12 boards. Or something like that for the year. Yeah, not a game. Okay, right, right. Now he does that <laughs> in a game. game. In fact, he had more than that in in the game on on Saturday. He's a stud. He's been in the weight room. He's been at it. Notre Dame has the ability to be patient. Notre Dame won fourteen games last year. They don't have the fire the coach talk shows there. <laughs> you know that's just just part of the deal. They do, but they're only about the football. <laughs> right, right. Fire the uh, linebacker coach, um, but. It's just a different animal, you know, and they're able to kind of let their players stew and get old, and they don't even add anybody new for this year. They've got a transfer sitting out who'll be new next year, uh, but it's a different type of, of deal, and uh, and Mooney obviously is going to have the upper hand when it comes to whether it's him against any, really, of the, of the Syracuse frontcourt players. That being said, Marek Dolezal played a, a great game the other day. He just goes about it in a different way. He's scrappy where... Uh, Mooney is a knock-you-over uh, finisher. All right, good start to the program there. Phone calls welcome, 315-437-7644. Want to get uh, Brian's thoughts on the women's uh, basketball deal. They've won two in a row in exciting fashion. Uh, touch on uh, officiating, because I know people want to know about uh, the couple of no-calls that Syracuse didn't get uh, down the stretch in that game. NFL officiating, obviously everybody's terrible. Everybody needs to get fired, and uh, we will address that uh, as we continue. Brought to you by the Hoffman Sausage Company. They're not terrible. Born in Germany, raised in Syracuse. Hoffman taste tells. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio. In the Booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. Everybody in the booth, we join you, brought to you as always by the Hoffman Sausage Company. Good to have you along with us today. You can join us uh, by phone, 315-437-7644 on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Talk. Jason Benetti of ESPN joins us in uh, just a moment here on the show. We can work in a call or two. Frank in uh, East Syracuse joins us now. Hey, Frank. Matt, Brian, Happy New Year, guys. And same to you, Frank. Thank you. Uh, I 
I wanted to talk about the women's game because that was the one that saved the weekend for Syracuse in New York, New York State. But I was really taken aback when uh, when the game ended, and it was a great great comeback for from the from the women. They were tremendous in overtime. But uh-huh. when uh, when Q went to shake, is her name Muffin McGraw? Muffet. Muffet, not Muffin. Muffet. 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 Little Miss Muffin sat on her tuffet. Sat on her tuffet. Well, she really kind of dissed. Q, and I don't know if it was because she was really picked off losing the game after being up by so many and then getting stumped in overtime, but I just thought, wow, this lady didn't look like she was too uh, too classy, to be quite honest with you. I thought that she's been around for uh, quite, quite a while, and she's won a lot more games than, than she's lost, and it was just a great win for the women, and I, I, I just... I don't understand how some people can react the way that she did. Maybe I'm overblowing it, but it just seemed like he put his hand out and she just slapped it away like the, the Pope slapped the girl the other day to grab him. I don't know. Uh, as far as the guys are concerned, you know, wow, that, that was a tough game. Steve hit the nail on the head. It was as close as you've ever seen. But, man, they're getting into a, into a bad situation where, where they got to make a play. They just they can't get over the hump. And there's so many times that there's a play that's going to be it's going to bear the, on the on the outcome of the game, and it's 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 becoming a trend with those guys. And you made a, an analogy early on about the guy who couldn't shoot the ball and hit the hallway from Notre Dame. But when you're in a zone, you're always stabbing. You're always running toward the shooter. You know what I mean? I mean you can you can call that defense, but it seems to me like when a guy lines up and he's got a good luck, and you're just flying through the air. You know, is that defense or is that just kind of a a feeble attempt to disrupt a shot. I don't know. Man, I'm grasping yeah. at straws. Officiating, horrible at, <laughs> at every level. But I'll just uh, hang up and listen to your guys' comments. I love your show. Have a great day. Appreciate it, Frank. Good stuff there. Um, you know, I think that's worth pointing out in terms of a drawback of the zone. I think if you're going to do that, you have to enumerate the positives of the zone as well. Uh, I'm just here to tell you that I don't think... Let's just go on the stipulation that you have deficient defensive players. I don't think that's really a stretch either, is it, applying it to this group? And so if people want to say, well, they're bad in the zone, I don't think they get better in man. So if you want to say, well, Buddy couldn't guard Prentice up, what, are you going to put him on him in man? Is he going to stick with him in man defense? Then wouldn't Prentice up just drive around him and get all the shots he wants at any point, just as easily. Um, Joseph Girard is six feet tall. Who do you? What matchup do you like with him in man? Um, and I, I think there are principles in the zone where, when they're doing it right, you are sticking with it. You aren't sagging back off of a shooter all the time. You are sticking with one. And I think had that been done a little bit more efficiently here you're maybe looking at a different outcome. And I think that's what comes from experience and comes from, you know, the length of a Michael Carter Williams and the, the people you identify as good zone defenders uh, here at Syracuse were able to make up for some stuff in ways that uh, is, is not presently happening. Uh, I'd say in the years the zone is good, there is less of what Frank was saying of the sprinting from long distances at shooters. They're already there. It's, they're either there or they're coming from a short distance explosively with a really long arm in somebody's face. And, I mean, that's just the difference between when it's good and when it's not. And it's been a struggle so far this year. 
And on uh, to Frank's first point about uh, our Hall of Famer, Muffet McGraw, I'd say he had a pretty accurate view of what was going on. <laughs> I was uh, right in front of where I was at. The drive-by is uh, what's that known in the the coaching parlance. Yes. Uh, Muffet, Notre Dame got out. Of, they, they may have lost the game. They set the all-time record for how fast that team got out of the building. It was unbelievable how fast they were gone. Uh, the Hall of Famer, Muffet McGraw, two-time national champ, uh, declined post-game comments on the worst team of her career. I'm so, good, she uh, said. She's, uh, she's having a great time. She never looked more distressed than I've ever seen her during a game. And, man, after just watching Syracuse never, ever beat them, it's a darn shame to have watched that during the game. And everyone feels really, really badly for them. And everyone's trying to put it on them this year. they got the number two recruiting class in the country coming in next year. Saying. It's a get your licks in while you can. And... I don't think anyone in Syracuse is going to apologize for enjoying watching them suffer. Yeah, it's the old uh, kick them while you're down or take the chance while you have it because uh, obviously Notre Dame's a blue chip stock in, in women's basketball and they're not uh, going to stay down for long. Um, you know, I would, and I'll, I'll defer to Brian, he was there and he obviously follows uh, women's basketball on a regular basis. I don't think you're going to find a lot of coaches doing cartwheels after losses. I'm also always taken aback by the declining comments or not doing interviews or not. Then you're pretty much given free license for whatever is written mm -hmm. and, and said about uh, your team with no input from you as uh, part of the news-making process. We were going to get into crushing officiating. Actually, I wasn't going to crush officiating, but uh, we are uh, got the calls here going. we got one from uh, the truck. Oh, it's got to be Wayne. Wayne in the truck. Hello, Wayne. Hey, Matt. So, your, your comment, Brian, on, on, on Notre Dame having the number two recruiting class, have no fear. Uh, last time I checked, uh, the Orange women have the number four recruiting class. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling good about that class, too. I think we got, a, we got a little bit more to, uh, to start with, too, um, that's going to be returning. Next year's, next year's Orange women is, is going to be a fantastic team. But uh, the, the guys, I called about the guys, and, and I think there's just a couple of things Syracuse fans need to Except, number one, we're playing zone. Number two, we're probably not going to make the tournament. If we accept those two things, it's going to be a far more enjoyable season. And if history teaches us anything, has taught us anything, this might be our last year with Elijah Hughes. And if we accept those other two years, then we can just move on and start enjoying what Elijah Hughes is doing on the court because it's pretty damn amazing. It is historic, and uh, I think you might be right on all four of those claims there. Wayne, I mean, really, Wayne's coming at you with four uh, kind of things, right? Playing zone, yeah. Mm -hmm. Not going to make the tournament. Mm -hmm. Looks uh, doubtful. Uh, Elijah could be on his way out. And what was the one I skipped? There was one that you might as well just try to enjoy it while you can. But um, I, I think Wayne uh, could be in a, in a, a four for four uh, type situation there. But, uh, you know, quickly, and we got to get to uh, Jason Betty. I was just going to say, I'm surprised we actually, of the callers, nobody's called in, and, and Frank kind of just did the facetious uh, shot that we took. You really can't blame this one on officiating, in, in my opinion. You, They had two attempts late in the game to draw fouls. I think the Elijah Hughes is a higher percentage. Uh, hope at that. He's going in. He's he. I think if he had that back, and it's easy for us to say after the fact, another half a foot if he just takes it a little more into the, the defense, and you had a good observation on that, Brian, before he sort of stretches it out, then maybe he gets the role, but he certainly creates the contact as opposed to hopes for the contact. And it was evident to me that 
he was going in there with the assumption that, okay, maybe I get a basket, but I'm definitely going to get fouled. And he didn't get the foul. Of the three officials in that game, two are veterans. One is considered the best official in the ACC by many, many. Uh, in Roger Ayers, he's worked more games than any other official in basketball this year and for many years running. He's done the Final Four. Jamie Lucky, Final Four official. Tim Comer would be the uh, junior official of that group. They're just probably not going to blow the whistle in that situation and definitely not on the Joe Girard, uh, the hope for a four-point play at the end. You're really looking. You might get that call two minutes into the game, but you're, it's wistful thinking to to think you're going to get it at the buzzer. Roger Ayers had one of the uh, funniest foul calls I ever heard during the game. Coach Bayon was very half-heartedly arguing for an intentional foul, which I don't even think he believed it was one. <laughs> Ayers sort of glanced at us and foul on three blue. He didn't mean to do it, but he did. <laughs> <laughs> if this is after amuse themselves, I'm sure it's yeah. uh, times uh, two. So, uh, you know, as you said, Brian, Elijah on that take to the basket you know, if you go directly to the rim, now you put that secondary defender uh, in in a more difficult spot. And and that might be a 30 seconds left in the game. The refs let it go. I mean, there would have been a collision there. Yes. And who knows if that gets called. But it certainly would have been more on the line of where you, you get into them if they don't call it. The Gerard one, you watch the replay. I mean, the initial view is, oh, my goodness, he got hit. You see the replay and then... I don't. I don't think he did. Yeah, and you know he's known as a guy who attempts to draw fouls, a la Reggie Miller. He's gotten a couple flop warnings, et cetera. And Notre Dame didn't even really need to be defending him uh, in in that situation. Tyus Battle now an excellent get to the basket guy, get to the free throw line guy. I think the difference in terms of how Tyus as a late sophomore and junior might have been a little bit better than what Elijah did at the end of that game is just go a little bit stronger or a little more directly so that uh, he initiates the contact. Maybe he gets the, the role and the finish, but he'll more likely, I think, gets the, the foul call. And uh, both those guys are excellent foul shooters. That That is, it is a high percentage play. I mean, it is the type of play you do draw up uh, to take your best shot uh, late in the game. In this case, it, uh, it did not work out. But uh, an explosive offensive performance, not a good enough defensive uh, performance for Syracuse. Still an exciting game any way you look at it on Saturday. Virginia Tech comes in tomorrow. That is a 9 o'clock tip time. We'll have our show tomorrow, of course. Then it's uh, on to Charlottesville, the Orange, and Virginia. Jason Bonetti, our friend, Syracuse alum and uh, ESPN play-by-play announcer, had the uh, Notre Dame game. He will have the Virginia game, and he will be with us when we return in the booth on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. In the booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. Having a perfectly good snooze there during the break and catching up on the Twitter and everything else. And we will interrupt that for a moment as we go to the Burdick Toyota guest line to welcome in uh, the very Twitter active uh, Jason Bonetti. Hello, Jason. Hi, Matt. How are you? Good. And the problem is we're on the tube now on uh, twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk. So people know I wasn't lying, that we were leaning back in the chair and about to comment on the various state of affairs and news that was out there. And then the uh, chime played that uh, said that you were on the line, so now it's time to Who go. Who sleeps better in studio, you or Higgins? Well, Higgins uh, has a baby at home, as you know, so anytime he can sneak a wink elsewhere, I would imagine that <laughs> he could probably more quickly fall asleep than I could. I think I've also ended up currently with the more comfortable of the two chairs. 
Uh, that's a fact. Which is and a, a long-running point of contention <laughs> on this not, show. I'm sitting on a pile nobody of rocks. Ever wants to see, nobody ever wants to see broadcasters fight over a chair. It has ruined at least <laughs> one career. Hey, he bounced back. Well, one <laughs> didn't, and the other, the other got a shot. Well, I wasn't talking about anything specific, Matt. How, how, how dare we? Yeah, hey, so, <laughs> certainly not in your own division. I was going to say, that's only in the... In the uh, American League Central, as far as we know, there's only, there's only the one, uh, the one division. Uh, wouldn't that that'd be uh, that's you have a lot of great uh, little you know conversation starters and uh, social media gadgets. Um, maybe we could do that like a you know equivalent of an epic rap battle or something. You could have chair battles, you know, through history and and uh, you know various whether it's different announcers or different uh, fans or celebrities or whatever who, who would you like to see fight for a chair uh, fight for a chair wow that's uh i you mean, get it sponsored i i think this has some legs to it if we're going if we're going currently like mitch mcconnell nancy pelosi would be fun yeah one chair uh, might be a little political in the moment, uh, but I, that's that's where I would start at at this point. I, I think you could have various Roman emperors uh, yeah. fighting over chairs, and somebody might burn the place down. I don't know. Put them in a room as small as this uh, radio studio, one chair, lock the door, and see what happens. I think we do this. Uh, you and Steve Stone this year on the White Sox broadcast, you do one chair in the room, first inning musical chairs. One of you gets to sit down, the other one stands the whole game. You know what? Uh, I think there's legs to that, <laughs> not even just chair legs. I, li I like that very much. Talk about trolling the uh, American League Central yeah, opponents. Yeah, only do it against the Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what are the White Sox doing? This just happens to be at Comerica Park. They're doing this bit. What a bit. <laughs> every, uh, every visiting broadcast team that goes into uh, that particular motor city could... Uh, <laughs> could do that, so that would that would be kind of interesting. All right, a lot of uh, that's a little inside uh, baseball broadcasting uh, for you there. Uh, your observations as the takeaway, you know, TV people they come in, they only want close competitive games, and uh, you might not get a better one than that, uh, even as much as you work, Jay. Uh, in terms of shot making and fun and just overall value of game, uh, Dan and I were saying this after the game, like we may not see a better basketball game in terms of competitiveness and big plays and you get Hub and Gerard John at each other like I, that was a treat that was that was a really fun game to watch and considering the last time Dan and I were at the Dome it was the Georgia Tech game last year what a, what a complete upgrade <laughs> that's right that was uh, not a competitive game and uh, one where Syracuse lost to a, a quote-unquote uh, lesser team so uh, th that's what Brian and I were kind of talking about hey for the last couple of years you know Syracuse won more games and you're talking about you know making your way into the tournament and whatever but there was a lot of man this is boring man they can't you know aren't going to score 65 against anybody or whatever uh, that was the opposite of it uh, on Saturday it's a loss but it was a, a much more visually appealing game and I, I thought a lot more to be excited about. Yeah, and I'll tell you, Buddy Beheim. we were watching, Dan's so good watching off the ball, watching Buddy Beheim through Dan's eyes 
just kind of float around the perimeter and make himself available for kickout passes and for high post passes uh, opposite. He he has become a really good basketball player, and and I, I was I was really impressed with his ability to get open for a shot just in subtle movements. There there's some really good stuff going on with with a couple of the guys on that Syracuse team. I don't know what they'll look like in the ACC, but I agree with you. It's a much more fun team to watch. Speaking of fun to watch, I mean, Buddy's subtle. Uh, Joe Girard is not in the, <laughs> his game. We've had a lot of talk about Joe, really, for ever since he committed uh, more than a year ago with the New York State all-time score and all that stuff and the, the guy we knew was coming in. Uh, how did you enjoy your first uh, JG3 experience? So when I was when I was uh, right before I ran into you in the media room, I was walking in and and I was walking along the baseline on the on the far right side as you look from the TV side, and I was walking by that that group of people and there was a gray-haired woman in a red sweater just yelling, "Joe, Joe, Joe!" And I don't I don't know if she knew Joe Gerard, but I have to imagine there's going to be sort of and I know people have made the comparison to McNamara, but there's going to be this cadre of people that shows up and and already has to see him play. I want to watch him play more after watching him and and a little bit of the bad dude that we got out of him. Not not in a bad way either. Like bring it on. I want competition. Let's play one on one. I really enjoy watching him play. And Beheim told us the day before the game, like, I don't know if he's going to take over. This is paraphrasing. It basically, I know he can take over a game. I don't know if he's going to tomorrow, but I know that's in there to be that type of guy. Jason Benetti is our guest on the Burdick Toyota guest line. Uh, the Orange uh, losing to Notre Dame on Saturday. Virginia Tech in the Dome tomorrow at 9. And then uh, Jason and Dan Dockett will be back on the call when the uh, Orange head back to the road to uh, take on Virginia in Charlottesville. Virginia Tech uh, scored 39 against uh, the Cavs uh, the other night. So I guess that foreshadows a little bit. I mean, that's to me, it's an anomaly, uh, the Virginia game, when you look at it. I don't pay too much attention to the first game of the year where Syracuse scored 34. This one here, I don't have uh, any hopes for. And, you know, win the game, obviously fa a fantastic bonus. Uh, lose the game Saturday in Charlottesville. That's just what just about every other visitor is going to do in Charlottesville. Yeah, it, se it seems like it. I mean, I have a little bit of a skewed perception of Virginia because the game Dan and I had of theirs, they went to Purdue and got housed. Yes. And they, they could not stop Sasha Stefanovic, who going into that game is number six on the Purdue scouting report. And, and there was a little bit of... Uh, like roll and replace, handoff from the wing, movement without the ball, unconscious three-point shooting, some of the stuff like we saw from Buddy Beheim on Saturday from Stefanovic. Now they're better with Braxton Key, and they were shorthanded in that game, so obviously it's a better defensive team. But I don't think Virginia is as good defensively as they have been in the past, and I think the numbers bear that out. So it's going to be really interesting to see what Syracuse can do. The, honestly, the one thing that sticks in my mind from really early in that game from Saturday is, you know, if, if Barama Sidibe is going to be scoring his six points a game on follow-up buckets, I, I was really confused as to why he didn't go up 
with a couple of those offensive rebounds early. And I feel like Syracuse might need something like that Saturday against Virginia. Like he kicked out a couple of really close range possible shots. And I know he's not a scorer, but you might need that sort of thing against the better teams in the ACC. Yeah. And, you know, Mark Dole, the early tone in the game, first of all, Sidibe had the unusual, this is a, a frameable box score, I think. It's got a lot of interesting stories in it. That, that Sidibe had six offensive rebounds and no defensive rebounds mm-hmm. is hard to fathom. You don't see that. And Marek Dolajai did early in the game kind of what you're talking about, Jason, which is, you know, aggressively go right to the rim, and he wound up with a double-double. Yeah, yeah, that, the the 94 feet of Dolajai was something that, that I wasn't necessarily expecting going into the game. But but I, I do, on the subject of Sidibe, and Dan is the perfect person to have next to me for the situation that happened when Beheim ripped Sidibe. Jim, Jim pulled him to the sideline. We all saw it on TV. He screamed at him. Sidibe comes back in and has two great defensive plays on one possession. Now, yeah, later he left his man, gave up some points. But, like, Dan said it on the telecast. I'm glad he did. He said, Jim Beheim's not afraid of players. He's not afraid of the transfer portal. He's not afraid of players. He's going to go ahead and coach, and he's going to get into people. And, frankly, I think that's why people in central New York really like Jim Beheim. It's why I respect the heck out of him is because he he goes right into that player, and he knows what that player generally needs, and Sidibe immediately paid it off. It was a really interesting two-minute subplot to the game. That sounds like a very Dan Dockett thing to yeah. say about, uh, about oh, yeah. Jim Beheim's yeah, I mean, approach. Interesting. While he's wearing his Harvard scarf, Dan Dockich. By the way, so we're running out of time here. I need to look it up on the IMDb. So the uh, Fields Medal that you're talking about there, is that the guy who won the first Golden Globe last night with the like the oh, Scandinavian name and the? It may have been. I think actually. it's that guy. His name's got like a K and back to back A's and and uh, something. Yes, I think that's that's who it is. So. I'll get to that. Professor that might be a... Gerald Lambeau from Goodwill <laughs> Hunting. That's is, the only Fields Medal winner that's, I know. That's what I'm talking about. But I think that's who uh, – we'll, we'll get to that in a, a Twitch-only exclusive here during the break. It also means we're out of time for your thoughts on the uh, White Sox hot stove, which is, is big in this market. I mean, people have been banging on the phone all, <laughs> all, all week. They want to know uh, your thoughts on, on signings and – Dallas Keuchel. Oh, it's super hot. All I can say is if there were fire emojis for the, the hot stove and how hot it was, there'd be at least seven. Matt. Good, a seven emoji hot mm-hmm. stove. That, that's like counting uh, an exciting game by how many Hoyas wins from uh, Rich Stravatkin. <laughs> you, you get to double digits, it's, it's a big deal. So, All right, man, we will see you uh, in Charlottesville. Safe travels, okay? Sounds great. See you guys. All right, that's uh, the great Jason Benetti on the Burdick Toyota guest line. Good stuff there. Don't have a lot of White Sox fans in this community, I wouldn't think. So uh, uh, He was the only one I knew, and he doesn't live here anymore. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, and Dan Dockett, his partner, is a uh, Cubs guy and will be the first one to tell you about it. Back to uh, wrap up the program in just a moment. You're in the booth on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. In the Booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. 
Uh, they want you to know about the uh, skates in the city. You can create uh, new memories. That's exciting. Brought to you by Krause Health. It's skates in the city in uh, Clinton Square. More information on that in uh, due time. Skatesinthecity.com. We thank Jason Benetti for being with us. I'd like to end our show the way Ricky Gervais started the Golden Globe. So we're going to just, just, just crush everybody. <laughs> Starting now. See you tomorrow.